0: Remember last year on December 31st as 2020 drew to an end and the air was thick with hope? I know that I felt a sense of light at the end of the tunnel and I'd certainly become closer to my neighbours than I'd ever been before. Of course, the pandemic wasn't suddenly about to come to an end just because we were all putting up our 2021 calendars. But imagining a better future in the new year presented us with hope. And being hopeful is necessary to survive.
1: If we had no hope, we wouldn't be talking because what's the point? And I think what harnessing hope is about is we can make changes to reverse this. We cannot let the hopelessness of what is happening continue to drive us forward
0: Lenore Manderson is a distinguished professor of public health and medical anthropology at the University of the Witwatersrand in South Africa. She's also a fellow of the Academy of the Social Sciences in Australia. So what does hope do for you? In your darkest moments, when you need something good to cling to, what gives you hope?
2: I have been drawing every single day since February 2020, Through my darkest days, you know, the pandemic, a death in the family, illness, crying at my drawing board, I have drawn every single day. It makes me feel like a light turning on in an old house.
0: Yep, creativity is wonderful fodder for hope. I know myself in my darkest moments, the first thing I want to do is go and plant seedlings in my garden, for example. And why do you think so many of us baked our way through 2020, me included? Love, of course, is another great source of hope.
1: We've had two sons. We've had friends and relatives who have died, who have committed suicide, who've, you know, leukemia and all of
2: those sorts of things.
1: and. These are the moments when you know that you can fall into the arms of another one and they will hold you up.
0: And of course, hope can come to us in times when we expect to have none, despite needing it more than ever.
1: Having a rare cancer means that every day I'm reminded of my own mortality. Despite the bad news of um, receiving an advanced cancer diagnosis, I've had an amazing um, cardiothoracic surgeon who's operated on me twice. And in those two occasions has saved my life. Their treatment and encouragement provides me with hope that I'll be with my family for much longer.
0: This is Seriously Social. I'm Ginger Gorman. And on the pod today, when times are tough, desperate or dire, how do people find hope?
1: So what is hope? Hope is an emotion, but it's an aspiration. Um, It's a feeling and it's a source of inspiration and direction. So I think it's both cognitive and effective. You feel it, but it actually does more than that. It's not just a feeling. It is around how you imagine a future and it motivates them what you do.
0: Lenore's work has taken her everywhere from South Africa to the Philippines to China. She has seen firsthand the impacts of oppressive, brutal and racist regimes. And seeing
1: all that, it wouldn't be hard to succumb to hopelessness. Many years ago, like at least 30 years ago, I was working in both China and the Philippines. And at that point, China was a particularly hopeful, inspiring place. It was... After the Tiananmen Square, people were feeling under threat, but there was still a sense of a future. And I really felt that I was in a country that would have powerful impact on the world in the 21st century. It felt like I was in the 21st century, though I was in the late 20th century. I mean, I would never have anticipated what was going on now, but it was this sense of optimism and excitement. I went from China to the Philippines and I was doing work in village Philippines, work on respiratory infection and diarrheal disease and the poverty in rural Philippines then and I think still now was really shocking and there was a government that was strongly supported by the US that had had all of that investment from the US as a colonial state through much of the 20th century and had a lot of input from the United Nations instrument, you know, UNDP and Asian Development Bank and World Health Organisation, and it was so poor and it was so corrupt and the gaps between rich and poor were so shocking. And I just had this terrible moment of complete powerlessness and loss of hope, like what was the point of me doing anything? Would there ever be a way? to have any impact in this society and I was simply one of thousands of people involved in work around health and development. And I came back really questioning what I was doing at all as an academic. And then it struck me that I personally, of course, couldn't change the Philippines and I couldn't change a village and donating my salary to support one village in the Philippines, which was kind of a, you know, a two-second idea, was not going to change a whole country. But what I could do, which is what I do, was work with people who were then in the Philippines, from the Philippines, who were able to effect change at all levels within administration, within healthcare systems, Um, within NGOs and so on and if that was all I could do to inspire and support and to train people who worked on the ground that was good enough.
0: i spent a lot of time in the Philippines actually Lenore and I really relate to what you're saying seeing such a bright and wonderful people so many of them in such desperate poverty without the basic needs of life. Do you consider that choice you made in respect to the Philippines and then your future career,
1: choosing hope over perhaps hopelessness? I think that if I if I took a line of hopelessness, and occasionally anyone feels very hopeless about certain things, um, and maybe that's the flip side, that if you're for the most part optimistic or simply believe in what you're doing, then there is a flip side to it and, and no one has... Um, an emotional intellectual life that is completely smooth and does not have ups and downs. Um, But I think what it did was give me a sense of what I valued and that other people valued in me that kept me going. You've got a really interesting
0: view about clinical depression and where hope fits in there. What can you tell me about that?
1: I think that the hallmark feeling in depression is hopelessness, that that characterises everything. It's not the sadness of itself. It's the fact that there is no point. And the sense of there being no point is there is no hope. And and that's like a hope for yourself. Like it doesn't matter if you're alive or dead. It doesn't matter where you are or what you do. And I think in a broader sense now it also infuses how people are thinking about the world. And, I mean, I've just been reading, as in last night, Delia Falconer's book On Signs and Wonder, and the first essay in that, On Signs and Wonder, is profoundly disturbing and depressing. Like, you know, after you've read enough about bogong moths disappearing and frogs dying and everything else, I mean, you do feel hopeless, And the question is how do we balance that and what is it that those of us who are not overwhelmed by the moment can do that continues to invest in a future and, and takes advantage of our own personal sense of hope that we can make an impact and we can make a change?
0: If you're saying that the counterpoint to depression is a sense of hope, then where does the idea of happiness fit in there for you?
1: if it does it all? Happiness is something that um, happens now and again, but I don't think people are motivated intellectually or through their labour in any way by being happy. And happiness is a very inward thing. I might feel happy, but my feeling happy does not make anyone else feeling happy. It's not an enduring propeller for how we act and how we see the future whereas hope is. The difference, I suppose, is that, you know, I'm much influenced and although not as a motivator, but as a reinforcer to how I feel by philosophies like Levinas around my responsibility for the stranger or, in Africa, the very much quoted or overquoted idea of Ubuntu, that I am who I through other people. And happiness doesn't have that kind of tie to others. And also, it would be naive, I think, to assume that just because one is happy at one moment, that you know, that one ought to be perpetually happy. I mean, I think that there is a richness in human emotional life, where happiness is only a fragment of it. And I mean what kind of person would be 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 if something terribly sad happens and we say oh well I'm happy so <laughs> you know that, that that's about throwing away one's own responsibility to the other and and so the pursuit of happiness is an entirely egocentric action but isn't it
0: interesting that there's whole industries and self-help books and chat shows and on and on and on we go around finding happiness Whereas what I'm hearing you saying is it's actually hope we need to find to get us through the tough stuff and not this ethereal kind of idea of happiness.
1: Totally. And I think that what is challenging us all globally at present is the the challenges around being hopeful and finding hope and being able to move. Now, that's at every single level. And so in South Africa, what has always amazed me, has been people's investment in the country, which is a statement of hope. Despite a history of the most brutal racism institutionalised with apartheid, and despite the fact that still this is one of the most unequal countries in the world, but people don't walk around bemoaning the challenges for the most part, though they're ever present. And there's an enormous honesty about what's happening. The honesty, I think, is part of what it means to be hopeful, that you can actually say what's wrong, what you don't like, what deeply troubles you, and talk about it with other people and, and begin to problem solve. It allows you to apprehend the possibility of change. So then it is around finding a way to think through how do each one of us individually play a role in in keeping that hope that there is a future alive.
0: I've just learned so much since doing this podcast, including just how busy my guests are. Regular listeners will know we interview some of the top social scientists from across Australia, the folks who spend their careers looking for solutions to some of the biggest challenges that our society is facing. Getting time in their calendars is hard, even one at a time, So imagine my delight when I heard that on the 22nd to the 23rd of November, 50 of them will be in the same room. Not a real room, naturally, an online room, but still. For two days, Seriously Social's host, the Academy of the Social Sciences in Australia, will host its annual symposium, talks, discussions and more. From 50, yep, 50 of our top social scientists. What's more, you can attend, and it is free. Just head to socialsciences.org.au and register for your free ticket. Okay, now back to the show. Hey, Ginger, it's Kat here.
2: Um, You asked me about what gave me hope, and when I was thinking about it, I was remembering a period of my life in 2013 when I was living on my own in Sydney. Um, I was in an abusive relationship in 2013 and it ended. Uh, But when it ended, I had also just lost a baby. I remember I just couldn't get out of bed. I'd quit my job... I just didn't want to talk to anyone. I was in a constant state of fight or flight and panic as I was trying to recover from all the events that had taken place over a two-week period. And I had my little rescue cat, Harley. He was the light of my life. He still is. And even though I was a complete shell of a person who was absolutely unable to function in any aspect of my life, I knew that cat needed me to feed him. He needed me to get up and give him food. He needed me to care for him. And in return, he loved me absolutely unconditionally. It was that small act of service of knowing that something was relying on me to help, that in turn stopped being something I had to mechanically do, but it was something that gave me joy to do and it sparked hope within me that perhaps life wasn't always going to be that way.
0: So what's the message here? When times are tough, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, summon up some hope and you'll feel okay? Sure. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. Dr Seuss was right to tell us that sometimes we'd get hung up in a prickly perch and while others fly on, some are left
1: in the lurch. Australia, sadly, has left a lot of people in a lurch. I think where we've seen hopelessness, which is the embodiment of real depression, if you like, is with refugees and asylum seekers who fled under enormously problematic circumstances, with fear that they had nowhere to go, searching for a place that would give them a sense of a future of any kind. And we, Australia, through the government, denied them that right. And we have consistently stripped people of the right to be hopeful. And I think that is an enormous crime. The same has been true around climate change in this country and 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 the most appalling outcome of has been watching the way in which corporate bodies supermarkets and the like are leading Australia I mean who knew capitalism would drag a government into the future I mean <laughs> this this is like every irony yes and and yes there's there will be profits in it but There is the the testing of the water and the point is that people look for someone or multiple people to play leadership roles who will point in the direction of ways to continue and without that kind of thing, it's very hard to feel hope. My question is,
0: is it possible to be hopeful even if you can't imagine how your
1: circumstances can possibly improve? Well, maybe you can. I mean, maybe, I mean, one is always in, in acting hopefully. You're always acting with the possibility that things might improve in some way and they don't have to improve in some way for you or in some way for the planet. It can be in some way for somebody else. I mean, what depression does, I think, real depression is close off, pull down the blinds, and say there is no future, which is why I keep tying optimism to some extent, because pessimism says, well, there's no point. Being optimistic says there is a point. Keep going. But, I mean, I don't. we don't live and have never lived with a sense of resolution as stasis. It's always been around change, and we never know what change is. So, All we can do is take the knowledge we have at the moment and think through in what ways will this help change for the better that I can imagine now. But we actually have to take action with what we know. We can't say, well, I'll just sit around and hope that someone comes up with a better solution in another 20 years when
3: I'm the frog in the saucepan. Hope for me is actually a byproduct of overcoming so many adversities in my, in my life that most people wouldn't even believe it. If I was to write my life story down, people would go like, yeah, that didn't happen. I grew up in a very challenging environment. We were poor. I had, you know, blended family, substance abuse issues, things like that. The thing that I can remember from my childhood most of all was a profound a loneliness. Like none of the parental figures in my life couldn't really give a shit about what I did or where I was or how I was doing. But despite that, I've always had really good people in my life, really good people around me, my friends, parents who fed me, random people here and their teachers who cared about me. And that has always allowed me to keep moving forward. Like my story could have had such a different ending. But I think when I reflect back on my life, I realize that there's always been someone to support me. There's always been someone who's been there for me. And, you know, you can't help but be hopeful then. Like, you you just, there's this profound understanding that people are actually good. Like, they, people want to help out others and they're willing to lend a hand when you need it. And that is what I think what keeps me personally going.
0: Thanks for listening to Seriously Social. I'm Ginger Gorman, and I hope you have a great summer. That's a wrap on another season of Seriously Social, but I will be back next year with more from the world of the social sciences. Remember, we've got a big old back catalogue if you're looking for some summer listening. Seriously Social is produced by Kim Lester and engineered by Mark Gargledonk, a.k.a. Baldy. And it is executive produced by Sue White and Bonnie Johnson. It's an initiative of the Academy of the Social Sciences in Australia. Thanks for your support this season. See you next year.